Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we can come to you this morning. And as we do, we commit this time of the service now to opening your word, to hearing and listening and asking, Lord, that you would use it to transform us, to renew our minds, that we might walk close to you. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we'll be looking at the, again in the 12th chapter of Romans, and uh, be sharing with you uh, this morning from verses 3 through the first part of uh, 6, chapter, chapter 12, verse 3 through uh, the first part of verse 6. For by the grace you have given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith in God ha that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. As we've gone through chapter 12, we've talked about the mercies of God that have impacted our life and how that should bring about a change in us. The mercies of God being our salvation and the reality that, that uh, we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God. We, we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And as we come and, and rest in those mercies, as we come and rest in a relationship with Christ, he tells us, Paul tells us, then we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And, and uh, he even tells us that that is an act of worship that is uh, pleasing to God. It's uh, what we are to do. And in the process, all of this brings about something that begins to happen in us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we're saved begins to actually work on us in a sense of conviction and transform us, not just change us, but transform us, renewing our mind in such a way that we begin to see, hear, think more like the word of Christ, more like the things of Christ than we do the things of the world. That's a lifetime quest. It's not something that happens uh, you know, overnight. I mean, there's some people that feel like, well, am I ever going to get this right? Am I? And some things that we struggle with, We'll think we've even had, you know, haven't had a problem with certain areas of our life for days, weeks, months, years, and then all of a sudden it rears its ugly head again, and we realize, boy, am I in the flesh. I still am very captured by this flesh that I live in. Get rid of it eventually with a new resurrection a body. So uh, uh, we look to that day, but it's still that reality that as we confess our sins, even there resting in the mercies and the grace of God, knowing that he forgives our sins. And so as we go through this process of transformation and building up in our, in our lives, renewing of our mind, uh, we begin to understand more what the will of God is. And one of the things that he, Paul starts to drive here is the will of God is to understand that we are all part of the body of Christ. 
God intended for us to be a group of believers, a body of believers together. And I'll give more detail to that in a minute. But he precedes the verses that we're looking at this morning when we went over this last week, that we need to begin with an honest evaluation of ourselves. Again, reminding ourselves we're all sinners. We all need saving grace. There's no way to be saved without it. And it's interesting. It's not like some people need more of the cross than others either. You know, uh, there, there, there tends to be that sense of, you know, uh, this person is really, you know, wicked, evil, you know, not much hope and you know, how, how much more of the cross they need or something. I've heard some people say some interesting things over the years. Uh, but we all need the same amount of salvation, which is to, uh, to, to transform our mind. It takes the same Holy Spirit and the same amount of grace. It's, it's not something that, oh, a little bit more here needed, you know. It's a... Uh, it all comes to us as, 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 it, as it goes in God's blessing and timing. And so we have received this faith, and it includes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what this brings about, as I started, as I read a chapter uh, in verse 4 uh, through 6, all together as members of the body of Christ. And I want you to understand this can be looked at in two ways, and I think Paul means it in both ways. That is the overall picture of the body of Christ, meaning the what would be called, <laughs> so cautious when I use this word, the Catholic Church. You know, the Catholic Church usurped a name that, that belongs to us. When they called it the Catholic Church, they should call it what it is and, not, and, and always preface it, the Roman Catholic Church. And, and leave, you know, and, and not just the Catholic Church, because Catholic is a Greek word that simply means universal, complete, total, the church. And they kind of assert that and call themselves by that name alone. And uh, the Catholic Church is the universal church, the body of Christ around the world, uh, Greek, Jew, slave, free man, it doesn't matter, ethnic group, financial situation, whatever it is. And so we are the body of Christ. But we're also within the framework of the local fellowship, the local body, uh, together the body of Christ as well. In, in, in each congregation is a part of the body of Christ. And so when we say here, we, are, we can say we are the body of Christ, not meaning the full, complete body of Christ, but for the sake of us here this morning, we are ministering one to another, as the scripture tells us, the body of Christ. He makes out also something very important. Each of us have a gift, a purpose, a function, a work that we are called to do. Paul will go on here in Romans and list a few gifts. In Romans chapter, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he lifts, uh, and 13, 14 talks about gifts. Um, I'm not going to get into that this morning, but just the understanding that each of us have been given something as believers in Christ through the Holy Spirit that we are to use within the framework of ministering in the body of Christ. Someone will say, well, I don't know what my gift is. 
Well, uh, you might have something that is simple as, as uh, the gift of, of faith that comes into the idea of somebody who's a prayer warrior and prays uh, and, and, and just really seeks that out. And in some cases, I've seen people that that is their gift. And they are the people, boy, I'll tell you what, that you want praying for you because they're faithful and, they, and, and it's, it's a powerful thing that happens there. Um, but all of us are called to minister one to another. And that's why, why Paul uses here the picture of the body. And Paul used in, in, in the scripture that we read this morning through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the picture, again, of the body. The body consists, very clearly it says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, consists of many members. And again, we can't, we're not all called to be the eye or all called to be the ear or all called to be the nose or all called to be any one portion of the body. And uh, the idea is, is that every portion needs to be functioning. Now, you think about it. What a powerful metaphor, really. What a great illustration. Because when one part of our body is out of sync, health-wise, or injury-wise, how miserable sometimes it is. How many of you experience, I, one of the most uh, things, especially when I was working in the wood shop and stuff like that, is a little splinter. How can such a little thing on the end of the finger cause such mayhem? including infections that can actually get very serious. So, you know, how, and you realize then all of a sudden, how often you use the whatever particular digit or part, you know, that got the splinter. A toe, something drops on it, a broken toe. I saw two people just now ago. Yeah, uh, and, and you realize it throws your balance off. It, uh, every time you take a step, it hurts. And it's amazing how many times we must bang something and not know it. Because once we have a sore toe, we seem to be banging it constantly. You know? You know, and you wonder you know, how that is. And, and you realize, well, you probably bang something all the time. It's just that now it's sore. Okay? And the reason why I'm pointing those obvious things out, hangnail. You know, a little piece of skin or nail that's hanging off the side that you, and you go to, to touch something and, you, and it grabs it and pulls it. We're very aware of things that cause pain and suffering in our body. Slow us down. Cause to hamper us, this type of thing. And when everything is working well, how nice it is. And so that is the picture that why Paul pulls off of this picture, the body. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is inspiring him to use this as a picture, but it's something that we can easily identify with. It has many members, and you know, we, we need uh, each, each part. Um, I have a, a friend of mine who, who's lost three out of five toes on his right foot. The big toe... And, and then the two, the two last toes, the smaller one and the next one next to it. He's lost three toes. And 
he has an actual uh, orthotic in his shoe that has raises in it at the toe spots so that he can, it's like they feel like they're almost there because he had a balance problem without it. And it, this way, it, it, it seemed to help a lot. Now, something as simple as, as these things that we, we, you know, we realize, we're aware of it. And the thing that came to my mind as I was looking at this, you know, uh, you know 12, 18 in, in, in 1 Corinthians says that God arranges the members according to his purpose, according to what he wants to accomplish. Uh, through the Holy Spirit, we find that he, you know, as we go into this, he distributes his gifts according to what is needed. And I thought, again, uh, you know, the idea, that, uh, again, it says a body requires many parts, various functions. And, and I, I, I had that picture of the symphony again in my mind. We need all of the instruments playing together to make it full. Can a symphony play without the, I always use the piccolo as an example, can it play without the piccolo? Yeah. But it's interesting that when the piccolo isn't playing and it's doing its part, and then some, some symphonies have whole sections devoted to a solo by an oboe or a piccolo, you know, instruments that I look at and I don't know how they, they, they that, that little tiny flute, you know, but the oboe, have you ever watched the person's mouth and lips and the muscles around their mouth as they play the oboe? It's amazing. This tiny little reed going through and making all this. And it's, it's powerful. I'm a, a La Miserable fan. And in the actual musical, I, the, not the movie part, but, I, I, but there's a whole solo for the oboe several times. And it plays actually the, the sad sections. And it brings it out and stuff like that how powerful and how lacking that would be without it. So again, I use my picture that I like to think of as a symphony. God has orchestrated all of the parts to be played, and he's out here conducting, asking all of us to participate and play our part. So this idea of many members. And as we, we look at this, it ties us back to this idea of the honest evaluation again in, in verse 3. Uh, because God is the one that's doing the saving. He is the one that's doing the building of the body. He is the one that's putting it together. There is no room for us to boast. So it doesn't matter what part that God has given you. It's no less or more than, if you will, as far as importance within the framework of God's purpose than any other part. There are people who would like to say, well, I am the I. <laughs> You know, if they had given that opportunity to say, you know, that way, using that metaphor again, I am the I, and if you weren't for me, you'd be stubbing your toe all the time. You know? Uh, I have, there are people that, that get very sidetracked about uh, whatever it is that they do within the framework of the body of Christ, and, and uh, it's easy to, to, to get in a situation where, for instance, like in my situation where I, I'm in front of you, I'm teaching, People come up and say, oh, what a nice sermon or whatever. And you know, it's pretty easy to, to feel. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, I appreciate, by the way, the comments, though. <laughs> but, but because that at least helps me stay on track. But it's 
we've want, we, we, we need to come back to that honest evaluation on a regular basis. That's why it's tied to this all, this all together in such a short place uh, about living sacrifice. How often do we do that daily? This type of thing uh, is, is implied. So uh, daily making a self-evaluation as we do this, you know, recognizing who we are in Christ, who Christ is for us, what he has done for us and all of us. And without him, we would be nothing in the kingdom of God. We would have no access, nothing. And the neatest thing is, too, for me, is when God inspires you to, to, to share the gospel, for instance, he's using you in that symphonic place for the moment to be the gospel word to somebody. It may be the only time he ever really puts that in your heart in such a way to do it in a very specific way. And you do it, and that guy goes on to be a Billy Graham. You know, you don't know. And you are the part, the little cog that brought that together. How important is that? Well, on the scale of, 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 of people leading thousands to Christ versus leading one, it doesn't sound very important. But on the scale of God's symphonic orchestra putting it together, it was pivotal, extremely important. A lot of other metaphors, uh, pictures that we use to describe uh, other than the body of Christ, uh, we will say uh, the family of God, uh, the Gaither song, uh, uh, you know, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That's about as far as I'm going to take it. Uh, and you're saying thank you. Um, but the family of God is, is, is a term that is, is a scriptural picture. We are the family. We are, uh, there's another picture that we, we, we get of interacting, ministering one to another, assisting one another. Uh, we're, we're told that the scriptures, that the, the uh, uh, Titus 2 ministry that we have, older women teaching the younger women. Mothers teaching the daughters. I mean, see, family kind of idea, concept, bringing it together. We are the bride of Christ. Now, that's not as, as, as popular for some uh, because especially, and it is true, more guys than gals, you know, don't, they don't like to think about it in that terms because it's just hard to get away from the idea of the bride and woman. You know? but, but this idea of being the bride of Christ simply means in relationship like a husband is to a wife, Christ is to us. And Ephesians in chapter 5 gets into that and talks about it. Holy temple. That's another picture. Peter uses a very descriptive thing. He says, we're living stones being built on the foundation of Christ, a holy temple. Notice how, again, it's all, all of these show interaction, all the members together pulling their, being, being their part. For that matter, just, you know, just the picture, the simple picture of a building, not even necessarily the temple, just a building on the foundation, foundation being Christ. All of this 
imagery that, that Scripture uses, that the Holy Spirit is inspired to, uh, to be used to describe the body of Christ, the church, the believers of Christ, the, the kingdom of God, the children of God, more of them, uh, is to bring us together in unity. To be in unity together requires to be like-minded. Again, this idea of renewing our minds, uh, seeing, understanding, pursuing the will of God together. Uh, and, and we become a people with a common purpose, common values. In order to take a serious look at the church, and that's really what this is about, the church, the body of Christ, starts with recognizing that none of us are the head. Who's in charge? Jesus Christ. Period. I, you know, uh, there's a new pope in town. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I, he seems to be a very gentle man, seems to be a, a very caring person. Sincerely, there seems to be a very sincere humility about him. Uh, but he is not the representation of Christ on earth. He's a member of the body of Christ, if he is saved. And I, I'm not going any further than that with that. I'm not pronouncing one way or the other. I'm just saying if he's saved, he's a member of the body of Christ, no higher or lower than anyone else in this room or over at the Catholic Church on that corner, anywhere else. It doesn't matter. And that is this idea of having this, this like mind. We are all in this together needing each other. There's been a time through the history of the church where there's been a separation from, from the pulpit and the people in such a way that it encouraged people to just be stagnant and, 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 and marginal in their growth and, and pastors just to tell you, you know, uh, the stories of the Bible, so to speak, and never encouraging you to be a part of it. And over the last uh, few uh, hundred years, especially with Great Awakening number one and, 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 and uh, various revivals through the, the seasons, uh, people were coming back to that picture, going clear back to uh, Luther, the idea of the priesthood of believers. We're all a part of the of, of the, the, again, the ministry that God is wanting to do. And we're all needed as part of it. And we're all important in it. But it's still very clear. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, the last uh, four or five verses, speak very clearly of Christ being the head of the church, the head of the body. He says, the head of the church, which is his body. And he's seated on the throne. And all things are being put to, as, as a footstool under his feet. And you know what I've, I've shared many times about that is where are, where are we located? No, we're not the footstool under his feet. We are the body of Christ. It's very explicit. We sit with him. The footstool, everything else is under our feet. We will reign with him in that context. It's a picture of where we are. But who is the head? It absolutely made clear. Christ. He is the head. Therefore, we seek him in all things for all aspects of our life. 
Colossians uh, spends time talking about, again, Christ as the head uh, and, 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 and preeminent in all things. From Christ and his word, we build our understanding of the church, his body. And, and again, coming down to then whose church is it? It's his. And I think of, of uh, the clearest picture for this is actually while he was still ministering to the disciples, uh, Peter makes his confession of, of, of faith. Uh, uh, well, I'm just going to, I'll just read the whole context here. Uh, chapter 16 of Matthew, starting with 13th verse. Now, when Jesus came into the district of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, little rock, and on this rock, I think referring to himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. Church, Jesus says. By the way, who's actually even doing the building, putting the stones in place? Jesus. He says, I will build. Ultimately, it's, it begins and ends in him. My church, I will build. In Ephesians, again, uh, the, the picture of, of unity that the, the Holy Spirit uses uh, to, to, through Paul, you know, Paul to bring to us here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. By the way, that would be a person who offers himself as a living sacrifice to God on a regular basis, and does, that would be walking worthy. That would be a part of that picture. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Go on in Galatians, you'll find that those are the fruit of the Spirit. That's what happens with a transforming mind. Uh, a, a renewing mind is the fruit of the Spirit. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, uh, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. It's, it's this picture of, of, again, the body of Christ. There's a, within the, this picture then is, is, okay, we're the body of Christ. God obviously didn't immediately take us to be with him. He's left us here. So we need all of this instruction as to how to get the flesh to, to, to yield. And, and it's not us that's what we're doing. It's the Holy Spirit in us and, and how to live for him. And, and so the picture comes down to is, you know, is there a purpose? What is the purpose for us even being here? What's the very purpose for us being here? 
uh, in the book of Romans, uh, and it, this is actually ahead, going ahead a little bit, but in chapter 15, uh, Paul writes, uh, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's where it starts. We are here to glorify Christ. We are here to point to Christ and what he is doing. It's central, it's, it's the very central picture of the church, to glorify Christ, to be a light on a hill. There's another way of looking at it, out of Beatitudes, out of Matthew chapter 5. One body, one head, one purpose. One body, the body of Christ. One head, Jesus Christ himself. One purpose, to glorify the Father. And we do so by also glorifying the Son. And the Holy Spirit is what gives us the ability to do that. For me this morning, I just wanted to point out this last thought with the, the, this, and I'm going to have several messages, I think, on this before I'm done. Uh, all of this is centered around a core of absolutes. This is something that's very unpopular in our culture today to say anything absolute. Part of it is, is because our culture can't say anything absolute. <laughs> Outside of Christ, there isn't anything absolute. So they don't want to talk about it. Because if they do, that means there's something fixed, and they would just as soon not have that. The absolutes that we deal with begin with the head, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, firstborn, having nothing to do with trying to, to figure out virgin birth at this point, firstborn in a sense of position of inheritance. He inherits all that the Father has. That's the firstborn position. That's the emphasis for that phrase. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the redeemer, the savior of his body, the, the church. It's his death, burial, and resurrection that accomplished all of this, bringing it together. The concert that has been playing, has been playing all through, I believe even before the foundation of the world as it started, was playing, focusing towards the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I don't know what kind of crescendo that it would be if, if you were hearing this as a, as, a, as a symphony, but you know that it was able to shake the earth, it was able to bring darkness across the earth, and it was able to tear the curtain in half in, 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 in the temple. It was amazing what it was able to do, and Jesus says, it is finished. And I believe it got very quiet and very still very certainly after that. They put him in the tomb. And everybody thought it was finished. They didn't understand. Sunday morning, the tomb's empty. Stone's rolled away so we can see in. It has nothing to do with him being gone. I don't think the stone has anything to do being rolled away with Jesus 
needing to get out of the tomb. <laughs> he, could go, he, could, he was going in and out of a building that was secured, so I don't think that the, the, stone, the stone was rolled away for us to see an empty tomb. All of this to bring us to this point where we would turn around and he would say, now, if you will simply confess, Paul puts it very succinctly, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that he is, he is he's come in the flesh. No. He says very clearly, then you will be saved, making us a part of the body of Christ. That's probably a good segue into communion. Uh, and, and so I'd ask the ushers to come forward and, and uh, pass the communion out, hold it until we've all been served. But just this picture, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is why we are the body of Christ. That's what allows it to happen. And as we confess it, as we embrace it, as we believe it in our heart, it brings us right to this table.
like to share a scripture from Colossians. Uh, I referenced it already. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are, were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, receive glory. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Everything that is restored and will be restored was because of what he has done through the cross. The fall of man's sin corrupted it. <laughs> through the cross, it is finished. He redeemed. And all who confess and believe in him showing that picture of the redeemed, the body of Christ, the church. He did it in the flesh. God in the flesh, God incarnate. And so he used the bread that night at the, the, the supper he shared with the disciples as that picture. He said, this is my body broken for you. And as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me or his words. And as often as we would do this, he continued to do so. In the flesh to make sure that we could see the, that it was man redeeming, God the perfect man in the flesh, redeeming us from Adam, the fallen man, and all that we've inherited from him as a result. But also the picture of the blood. The life is in the blood. His life was poured out for us. There was a death on the cross. And it was a supernatural occurrence. And as a result, that death, it is finished, paid in such a way that all who are redeemed will never know the anguish of the judgment of our sins. Somebody say, well, we've experienced the penalty for our sins laterally. Yes, there are things and consequences of sin that between man and even between God in the sense of separating us until we confess and, and, and are restored. The picture of judgment of sin, we don't have a clue. We have glimpses, but we really, we've been redeemed and spared. He said as often as we share this cup, he, that we should do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. Father, again, we thank you. Coming to you, Lord, I, I think of just already how many times I said again we come saying thank you this morning. Cause that to not be just a phrase, but a sense of mind and being. A sense of, of something coming from a mind that is being renewed by your Holy Spirit. So that when we say thank you we realize that we're saying thank you because of all that you have done for us, all that we have been spared, and all that you have promised and all that we look ahead to. We thank you, Lord, that we can 
contemplate and think about it and have confidence in the hope of eternity because of what you have done for us. And so once again this morning, we would recognize you are the sovereign creator of all things, held together by your word, and, and, and we ask, Lord, that you would move in us in such a way to make us the functioning part of the body of Christ that you want us to be, each of us individually and, 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 and then collectively together as well, in such a way that you would receive glory in, in, our, in, our, in, in, in and around us in the sense of, of, of people coming to know you, to see you, to recognize that there's a God of all creation who wants to save us. Worship you in Jesus' name.